Good morning, congregation. We welcome you to worship and particularly extend a hearty welcome, a warm welcome to any guests and visitors in our midst. This morning, our call to worship comes from Psalm 72, Psalm 72, verses 18 and 19. Blessed be the Lord God, the God of Israel, who only doeth wondrous things. And blessed be his glorious name forever. And let the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. Matthew chapter 5. And then after that we will turn to Isaiah 57 and read uh, verses 13 through 21, I believe it is. Let's hear the word of God. And seeing the multitudes, he, that's Jesus, went up into the mountain. And when he was set, his disciples came unto him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. And now we will turn to the prophecy of Isaiah, Isaiah 57, and we will read from verse 13 to the end of the chapter. When thou criest, let thy companies deliver thee, but the wind shall carry them all away. Vanity shall take them, but he that puts his trust in me shall possess the land and shall inherit my holy mountain and shall say, cast ye up, cast ye up, prepare the way, take up the stumbling block out of the way of my people. For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. For I will not contend forever, neither will I always be wroth. For the spirit shall fail before me and the souls which I have made For the iniquity of his covetousness was I wroth and smote him. I hid him, I hid me with and was wroth and he went on frowardly in the way of his heart. I have seen his ways and will heal him. And I will lead him also and restore comforts unto him and to his mourners. I create the fruits of the lips. Peace, peace to him that is afar off and to him that is near saith the Lord, and I will heal him. But the wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. There is no peace, saith my God, to the wicked. So far the reading of God's faithful, true, and everlasting word. Dear church family, you will remember last Sunday evening we considered that one word, blessed. 
and what it meant to be blessed. And we went to the Psalms, if you recall, and and we, we got, as it were, an overview of what the blessed man, the blessed woman, the blessed boy or blessed girl would look like. Children, do you remember, do you remember any of the ten characteristics that we, that we considered? How the blessed, the blessed man is a chosen man. Planted. Forgiven. Is one who is filled with faith and takes God at His word. Is, is one who desires to live a holy life. One who's word-centered, loves the scriptures. Is a worshiper of the one true God. He's kept. He's discipled and disciplined. And he's found to be fruitful. But maybe the question that you raised or that came to you throughout the week was, how, how do you, how do I know that this is me? For, you say, when maybe when I look at myself, when I examine my life, I, I don't, I don't see these, all these characteristics. Maybe at times, but so often, maybe not. Well, in one, in one sense, the psalmist, what, what we did last week was like take a 10,000 foot view, looking down through the, through the vantage point of the psalms at the blessed man's life. We got the big picture. The view that God sees of his people when they are in Christ Jesus. But as we live in the, the day to day and hear the troubles of life, it's a view that has to be grasped and taken by faith. For the people of God, when they're in the midst of life, in the midst of troubles, in the midst of temptations, in the midst of hurt, pain, sin, whatever it might be, it's hard at times to, to see this. And so how do we know? Well, children, maybe another example just to help us get to what I'm, I'm trying to get at. Maybe you've seen those, uh, the short drone footage videos of someone who's taken a drone up really, really high and maybe of a forest. You see the, the beauty, the expanse, the, the diversity of those, of the forest through, through the lens of that drone that's very high. You see the big picture. But maybe when you're in the midst of that forest, you feel lost. How do you get out? How do you see all the details? How do you, how do you get when you're in the midst of it? Well, in a sense, this is what Jesus is going to do. He's going to take us into the, into the midst of daily life, and he's going to give us characteristics of what it means to, to be a member of his kingdom, even in the midst of living out in a fallen world. Jesus is going to describe for us how to be able to look at ourselves and, and those around us and examine what are the characteristic traits of those who are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And he's going, we are going to just take them one at a time and we're going to walk through them slowly over, over the next little while. Character traits that can be seen, that will be manifested in the hearts and in the lives of the people of God. And they will be lived out on a, on a day-to-day basis, in the, in the midst of times of joy, but also in the midst of challenging circumstances. And so this morning we want to consider that first beatitude, from Matthew 5, verse 3, where Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
And we hope to see that entrance into the kingdom of heaven and continued citizenship in God's kingdom will be accompanied, will be characterized by an ever-growing understanding of one's uh, spiritual poverty. But also, in, in, in conjunction with that, there will be an ever-growing understanding and awareness of their privileged position that is already theirs of being in the kingdom of heaven. So our theme this morning is happy or blessed are the poor in spirit. We want to consider their description in the kingdom and their status in the kingdom. As John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus, and as Jesus himself began their ministries, both of their ministries began with this central theme, a message that incorporated and surrounded was central to their message, this message about the kingdom of God. In Matthew, Matthew records how John began to preach in Matthew 3 verse 2, repent ye for the kingdom of God is at, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And Jesus begins with the, the exact same message as he opens up his ministry. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. As Jesus continues his ministry, he's gathered his people around him to instruct them what the nature of these, the kingdom is like, the characteristics of those who are part of his kingdom. And he begins to answer the question, And I think he goes back to this initial command, repent. He begins to answer the question, well, what does it mean to repent? What what does it mean to repent and to know that the kingdom of heaven is at his hand? What's the connection between repentance and citizenship in the kingdom and kingdom living? What's the connection between repentance and the demonstration of being a member, being in God's kingdom. How, how will repentance be evidenced? In a sense, Jesus gives us that answer in this first beatitude. Such repentant people will be poor in spirit. But what does that mean? Well, in our first thought, we want to consider the description that Jesus gives, poor in spirit. And in the first first aspect, we want to look at what this does not mean. What does, it, what does this not include? Well, as we examine the word poor in the Greek, it comes from a word that describes one who is, who could be talked about like thoroughly frightened, one who cowers down one who hides himself out of fear. It has the idea of roaming around in a state of wretchedness. And as you scan the use of this word in not only the scriptures, but in Greek literature as a whole, it's often used as a very negative term to describe someone who's been reduced to a to begging, as a cower down and go through society fearful, seeking for daily necessities of food and and drink. It describes one who is physically poor and lacking in one way or another. And we, we find this use of the word in the scriptures actually quite frequently. We think of uh, just two examples. Luke 19, 8, we, talk, we, we read about Zacchaeus, the rich tax collector, who after his conversion said he would give half of his goods to the poor, to such desperate people in need of food and provision. Or we, Jesus highlights for us the, the widow who had but two mites and put them into the treasury and and, and Mark describes her as a poor widow. Physically poor, yes, but there's more to it. 
But this is not what Jesus is referring to when he said poor in spirit. For we know that there were those who were wealthy, who had riches, who were not destitute and poor of material possessions who were in the kingdom. We can think of Zacchaeus, who we just mentioned. We can think of Abraham, David, Solomon, and many others. But we are reminded, as we consider the scriptures as a whole, that those who are poor and needy, destitute of the physical necessities of life, have a special place still in the care of the Lord. We just have to look at the Old Testament civil laws and the provision for such within them. We're also reminded that riches and abundance can lead to this self-dependence, independence, and the no need of the Lord. But here the Lord Jesus is focused more than just the outward physical poverty of people. He's focused in on the person and their heart rather than their physical circumstances. But as we consider the heart and the person, the character of, of people, we must also know that when Jesus says poor in spirit, he, he is not talking about one who is poor-spirited or one who, one who is grumpy and cantankerous or hard to get along with, someone who maybe is angry. That's not who Jesus is referring to. Someone with a negative disposition in life. Nor is he referring to those who are spiritually poor. And let me explain. For we all are, by nature, spiritually impoverished. We are bankrupt sinners. We don't see our need for a Savior. We don't see our need for the Lord Jesus Christ. We are blind to our very need, to our spiritual poverty. And as long as we remain blind to it and remain in said state, we will not enter into the kingdom of heaven. The rich man who woke up in hell was one who was spiritually blind. He was one who was spiritually poor blind and destitute to his position in this life, to his real poverty. Oh yes, he was spiritually poor, but he was not a man who was poor in spirit. But then what does Jesus mean? What does he mean when he refers to the poor in spirit? I believe Jesus is making a connection here between repentance and and being poor in spirit. The two are integrally interconnected. One must repent to enter into the kingdom, and one must become poor in spirit to be in the kingdom of heaven. And in this sense, Jesus is not using this as a negative term, as a negative term as a negative phrase, but he is saying this is something to be, to, to be desired. This is something to be sought after. For the one who is poor in spirit is, is blessed, he says. Happy. Has these characteristics that we considered last week. This poverty that Jesus speaks of is, is a good thing. This is a poverty that we are to strive after. Not like the physical poverty that Agur, as we heard last week, prayed that he would not have. When he said, give me neither poverty nor riches. This is a poverty we need to strive after. So what do we mean? What does it mean when we, we say poor in spirit? Well, it is a, to be poor in spirit is to be, is to have the spirit worked understanding in our hearts and our minds that I am nothing before God. And I could do nothing to come to God. That I am completely destitute of any good, of any resources, of anything 
that will bridge the gap between me, the sinner, and a holy, just God. Nothing. But it is also a recognition that God is everything that I need. That God is the one who can do and has done what I cannot do for myself. It is a recognition that God is willing to have dealings with sinners like you and and I. That God in and through His Son has procured all the resources that are needed to bridge that gap, to, to close the gap so a sinner like myself, a sinner like you can close with Jesus Christ and and have the forgiveness of sins, can be, can be made a citizen of His kingdom. To be poor in spirit is to relinquish anything of my own. My destructive independence. It is to humble myself before the Lord, recognizing that I am totally dependent on Him for everything in this life and the next. It's a recognition that I am nothing. John Brown put it this way, He, the poor in spirit, knows himself to be an entirely dependent being. He knows himself to be an inexcusable sinner. He knows that in him, that is in his flesh, dwells no good thing. He knows that he has and that he can have no hope but in the sovereign mercy of God. And he has no righteousness to glory in and but the, but the obedience unto the death of the Son of God. And whatever is right and holy in his sentiments and character is owing entirely to the influence of the Spirit. By nature, this isn't us. By nature, we are haughty. We're independent, thinking we can make it on our own. Before God's grace in our lives, we are like Pharaoh who well, maybe wouldn't come out and boldly say it as brashly and as boldly as Pharaoh said it, but we ask the question, we live the question, the answer, who is the Lord that I should obey His voice? I know not the Lord, neither will I let Israel go, Pharaoh said. Who is the Lord that I should obey His voice? Who is God that I should repent? Who is God that I should see myself as a broken sinner before Him? These are the questions of a heart that has nothing to do and does not need the Lord. Who is I? Who am I that I should, in my fallen state, call on him? Is this you? Maybe you said, oh, I've never said those things. Haven't you? Maybe you say, well, I've never, I haven't thought this. Really? Are you sure? Have you obeyed his voice? Friend, when we refuse to bend the knee, when we refuse to repent of our sins, when we refuse to trust in Jesus Christ alone for our salvation, we are saying, maybe not with words, but with our actions, Who is the Lord that I should obey Him? Or maybe we say it slightly differently. Is Jesus' finished work really enough to save a sinner like me? Or maybe we say something along the lines of, is there not anything that I can contribute to my salvation? Or maybe with King Saul, we, we partially obey. We offer the sacrifices. But we come on, his, on our own terms, not God's terms. 
So remember Saul, he had kept part of what God had commanded him to destroy and then was using that to sacrifice. God calls us to come in and through his beloved son, the Lord Jesus Christ alone. And in order to do that, you and I must become poor in spirit. We must become like Jacob, who who acknowledged he was nothing as he as he wrestled with the Lord at Penuel. As Jacob clung to him, he says, I will not let thee go except thou bless me. Jacob had to learn to, to give up himself, to give up his own abilities to and to cling to the Lord alone. This wasn't natural for Jacob. You can read throughout his life his this independent character come through as he tries to manipulate, control different circumstances. But Jacob had to come to the point in his life where he recognized he wasn't in control, that he was empty, and he needed the Lord alone. Jacob became poor in spirit. He humbled himself and he clung to the Lord. Have you? And isn't this what repentance is? The Westminster Shorter Catechism describes repentance as this. Repentance unto life is a saving grace whereby a sinner out of a true sense of his sin as well as an apprehension of the mercy of God in Christ, doth with grief and hatred of his sin turn from it to God with full purpose of and endeavor after new obedience. When a sinner repents, he has come to a true sense of, of, of sin in their lives, of my sin, I have sinned against the Lord. When a true when a sinner repents, we, we see that there's nothing good in ourselves. We see that we are nothing, that we are totally dependent on God. We see that we have offended Him, and it grieves us to the core. We see that we are apart from Him, apart from His long suffering, kindness, apart from His mercy and grace. And that we are worthy to be consumed by his wrath. But not, but not only does repentance see who we are and what we are missing in Christ, but repentance casts ourselves on Christ. We come to him for mercy and grace that is to be found in him. And we come relying on his mercy alone. This is what it is to repent. This is what it is to be poor in spirit. John Calvin puts it this way, the poor in spirit is he only who has, is reduced to nothing in himself and relies on the mercy of God. It is only becoming, being made poor in spirit that we, that we see our need of God, of his grace, of his mercy, and become willing to receive it. It is only becoming poor in spirit that we see the beauty and the value of Jesus Christ in all his glory. We see that he is the one who is able to meet our, our, our deepest need, our greatest poverty. Friend, if you've come if you've come to see yourself as one who is poor in spirit, you will be one who has been stripped down, stripped down of your own self-worth and value. Not only stripped down of your own self-worth and value, but aware of your continued need of Jesus Christ over and over like daily manna, the Israelites needed it day after day, and it was there. And the sinner, the poor in spirit, sees their daily need of Jesus, the true manna. If you are poor in spirit, 
you will love the Lord Jesus Christ. You will cry with John the Baptist, he must increase and I must decrease. You will cry with Peter, Lord, you know all things, you know that I love you. If you are poor in spirit, you will be one who sees an ever-increasing beauty and need of, in, of Jesus and a need of him. And this will be evidenced in life in, in a, it, where prayer becomes vital, a vital part of, of the poor in spirit as you commune with the Lord. But not just prayer. The Word becomes a vital component of daily life as it's the food for the soul. If you're poor in spirit, you will see the, the Lord's daily mercies as tokens of His free grace towards you. And you will praise Him for his abundant, overflowing mercies. If you are poor in spirit, you will, you will desire to live faithfully for the king as one of his loyal subjects. But then you will see your, your need for him to live faithfully. You will see that you come short of his glory you, fail, you will see that you fail the king again and again. But that drives you again and again to the king for your help. You will see, if you are poor in spirit, that yours is the kingdom of heaven. That you have a place in God's kingdom. But we want to look at this position, this status in the kingdom in our, in our second thought. Not only do we have a description of the poor in spirit, but Jesus also tells us that the position or the place of the poor in spirit is one of a tremendous blessing. Begins, the, begins each of these short, pithy sayings with, Blessed are. The poor in spirit. And Jesus could have stopped there. Blessed are the poor in spirit. To be, to be in this position of, of poverty, seeing our, 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 our emptiness and our need of Christ is a blessed position. But Jesus goes on. He adds to it. Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. These poor in spirit people are members of a kingdom. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now we recognize that this kingdom is not a kingdom that they've earned. They haven't merited. They haven't done anything for, for this kingdom. Quite the contrary. This kingdom is theirs because of grace and mercy. This kingdom is theirs because of the gift that is given to them in Christ Jesus. Where the king incorporates sinners into his kingdom. Grants them citizenship in his kingdom. The citizens of Christ's kingdom, of the kingdom of heaven, are all going to be characterized by being poor in spirit. There's a connection here between that opening phrase, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs. The theirs in the original is emphatic. The theirs is, the there is referring back to those who are poor in spirit and it's only these poor in spirit who will have the kingdom of heaven. They've done nothing to merit it, but it is theirs, and it is theirs only. There is no room in the kingdom for those who are not characterized by being poor in spirit. And so if you cannot describe yourself 
as one who is poor in spirit. Friend, you are not in the kingdom of heaven. You will have no part in it as long as you remain rich in yourself. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Not that they become the king. Not that they become the sole ruler of this kingdom. But theirs is the kingdom in the sense that they have been made citizens of it. It is their kingdom in the sense that they belong to this kingdom. They have citizenship in it. They are invested citizens of the kingdom and the king. Her success, the kingdom's success, and her welfare are the concern of the poor in spirit. Maybe an analogy here. I don't know if it will be helpful or not. Um, I'm a Canadian, and I have my Canadian passport, which identifies that Canada is my country. I belong to Canada. And during the, the years of COVID, where travel was restricted back and forth, that document became important. Even though I had to go get the negative COVID tests in order to go back, I could enter. I had the right to enter because Canada was my country. We had our passports. We had all the necessary COVID tests. We've done everything. But there were times where the border agent questioned whether I was going to quarantine for the 14 days that was required. And that wasn't actually his business. And so I had to remind him, I am a Canadian. You cannot prohibit me from entering my country. And in that sense, Jesus is saying to the poor in spirit, this is your kingdom. You have the right to it. You have been identified by one of the marks of citizenship. Being poor in spirit, you belong to this kingdom and no one can keep you from it and from its rights and privileges that are yours in and through Christ Jesus. And this isn't something that might be. For Jesus says in our text, for theirs is the kingdom. The poor in spirit are already active members of the kingdom of heaven. This word is in the, the original Greek is in this present continuous state. They are presently members and always will be members included in the kingdom. And nothing can separate them from what is already theirs. And this has significant implications for those who are poor in spirit on how we are called to live in this life here now. Because in the first place, the king, the king calls his people to live like his subjects. He calls us to recognize that we are not our own. We belong unto another. And he calls us to be a people who are a witnessing people to the world of, of, their, of the desperate need that they are in. In the need of the same grace and mercy that you have experienced in Christ Jesus. Jesus calls his people to be an active people, a loving people who are, who are, who recognize that they are part of a body. Yes, the body of the, of Christ, the universal body of Christ, but also part of a local body here at Grand Rapids Heritage Reformed Church. And you're called to be active members in this church, caring for one another, caring for the other members of the body other members who have been added to this church because to Christ's kingdom because they too are poor in spirit. But Christ not only calls 
his people to live as a witnessing people, as, a, as an act of caring people within his kingdom. But in the second place, he says, as if you're a member of my kingdom, I will supply you abundantly, generously, with rich provisions so that you can live this way. You don't have to go out and live on your own strength, on your own resources, but you have all that you need to live faithfully in this world as citizens of the kingdom. You don't have to fulfill the call with your own resources because you have none. He equips those who are poor in spirit with gifts and talents that he calls you to foster, to develop, and to use for the glory of his name and for the benefit of the church. But the third the third thing that the people who are members of this kingdom need to take advantage of and recognize is that he he protects the king protects his subjects. He protects them with a powerful protection, first and foremost, because Christ is the head of the church. And he has defeated Satan. He has defeated the enemy. And nothing can prevail against him. But Christ himself has, we read in Hebrews 1, has sent his angels to be ministering spirits to those who are heirs of, the, of salvation. Christ has his army, his host of army in terms of spiritual beings who are fighting on behalf of and alongside of the people of God. We don't realize it. But Christ is also called within the body men to serve, elders, pastors to care for, to lead, to guide the flock. to lead his subjects, those who have been made poor in spirit, to equip them, to teach them, to help them. But he also, Christ, as the head of the church, also equips his citizens for spiritual warfare. Ephesians 6 describes this beautifully for us as as he, as he gives the armor that we are to don and put on and and make use of and become familiar with to first and foremost defend ourselves against the spiritual attacks, but also to learn how to use that sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, to go on the offensive. Christ, the head of the church, will defend his poor in spirit, his citizens. He calls us to live faithfully, diligently in his kingdom. Now, as citizens already. But as already citizens of the kingdom, we are not to just get bogged down in the the here and now, but we need to recognize that there's an aspect of this kingdom is a a not yet part of this kingdom. There's something more to come. Something more beautiful, more glorious. We need to look beyond this life to the next. And the poor in spirit will be those who who look forward to the full fruition of the kingdom. Where where we, we will see the kingdom in all its glory, its beauty. We will see the king and be in his presence evermore. We will dwell in the high and lofty place Isaiah described for us in Isaiah 57, verse 15. In that verse, we read, Thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. This is our king describing something for us. 
Thus says the High and Lofty One, the One who is the King of the Church, the One whose name is Holy, and He says, I will dwell in a holy place with Him that is of someone who's rich, self-sufficient. No. I will dwell in the high and holy place with Him also that is of a, a contrite and a humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble one and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. The king, in his beauty and his glory, delights and desires to dwell with those who, who have become poor and empty, those who have been contrite and humbled. He delights to dwell with ones that have come and placed their trust in Him alone. Dear people of God, doesn't this overwhelm whelm you? That the King, the Holy One, the High and Lofty One, desires to dwell with poor in spirit ones, people who are nothing, And so it is because of that he will one day say to his people, come up, dear one, come up, join the, the festival throng, join those who have gone before you, come up into glory. And he will say to his faithful ones, thou hast been faithful over a few things, and I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Friend, there's coming a day where those who are poor in spirit will be brought into the, to the full realization of the kingdom of heaven. Nothing to hinder its sight, nothing to hinder its, its, what it's all about. Where, where our faith will become sight, where darkness will become complete light, where sin will be forever done away with, the struggle with indwelling sin will be gone. We get to see the King in His glory and His beauty. Do you long for that day? Do you long to see Him whom your soul loves? If you do, the only way it's going to happen is because you've been made poor in spirit. And friend, if this is you, you are truly happy. And the Lord calls you to live as his faithful subjects till he does call you home. But if, but if your answer has been one of hesitation. Do I really long for that day? Um, or, or maybe it's not. I don't even want. Not even thinking about that. I, that would be the last thing to think about. Friend, if if this is you, there's really one of two possibilities here. Either you have been made poor in spirit at at a point in your life, but you're backsliding. And you're living in this world. You, you've got, as it were, like your tent stakes too deep in this world. You're buying into worldly thinking, goals, ideas of what success and happiness looks like in this life. Jesus said that his citizens cannot serve God and mammon. And with Elijah the call comes to us, choose you this day whom you will serve. Or the other option is you have never become poor in spirit. And you know it, some of you. You know that the kingdom of heaven isn't yours. 
that you're still in your own kingdom. That you are still the king in your life. Thinking you're in control. Thinking that you have it all together. Still in the kingdom of darkness. And that, and friend, if that's you, you're in a dreadful position. For, for you're opposed to the light of the world. You're opposed to the king who is sovereign and in control. You're opposed to the one who is coming again. And he will return on the clouds one day. But he hasn't yet returned. And he once more comes to you today and as he did, as he began his ministry in Judea. And he says to you today, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Amen. Lord Jesus, we are thankful that Thou art the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And we're thankful, Lord Jesus, that as the King, Thou dost change hearts and lives. That Thou art willing to have dealings with sinners. And that Thou dost empty sinners of themselves. And show them the beauty of thyself. And Lord Jesus, do that once more today in our midst. That if there are any and those that do who have never come to see themselves as poor in spirit. Would come for the first time. And realize how poor they really are. How impoverished they are. How they are bankrupt and come to see that Jesus is the one who is rich glorious worthy to be served who who can meet our every need and do help thy people Lord to to live in the privileged position that they have already for theirs is the kingdom of heaven Oh, Father, help us not to be so bound to this earth. But may we live faithfully in the callings that Thou has placed on us in our homes, in our workplaces, in our communities, striving, Lord, to magnify the King in all His glory. May we do that this week, Lord. Help us, we pray. Help us to make use of the resources that the King bestows on His people to be faithful citizens, subjects of the King of Kings. Do bless us, we pray, in Christ's powerful and strong name. Amen.